let us take a moment to pray before we think about God's Word. Come, Holy Spirit, and soften our hearts to the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, and root us in Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, with power and deep conviction, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's said that the first five years in ministry are crucial, foundational, because if you can get through those first five years, then you're likely to make it and last in ministry. Research has been done predominantly in America where 80% of ministry ministry graduates leave the ministry within the first five years. I'm not sure what the research would suggest for Scotland, but I can tell you that some of my colleagues whom I trained with um, have already not left, but they have been off with stress or illness or various other dynamics because of what they've experienced in ministry. This is my final year of the first five years, and let me tell you, I'm coming to it excited. I'm feeling a bit pumped, ready to go. And some of you, as you hear that, are saying yes, and some of you are groaning, (laughs) either internally or externally. Part of the reason for, there's many reasons for that, um, but part of the reason I'm looking forward to this year is God's just doing so much, and there's so much in store for us. Uh, I'm looking forward to the evening service restarted, and if you weren't there before COVID, please come along. It's a really special time. Uh, But we've also got the Israel and Palestine trip in three weeks' time. Looking forward to taking six of our young people there. Uh, We're all getting very excited for that. Um, I was back in on Friday to Wollaston Primary School visiting with the Primary 1 classes and uh, really engaging with them, and I'll be in every Friday morning. After Easter, we hope to see the Scripture Union groups restart. We're still needing maybe one or two uh, occasional volunteers, so if you could help out with that, then speak to me uh, as soon as possible. And we've got a new discipleship resource uh, getting trialed just now called Safar. And people are already engaging with that and finding real benefit. There's so much that is happening that's encouraging uh, me and just helping me feel ready for this year. But this year is going to bring change for all of us. Significant change. Because at some point this year, we will begin to work towards coming into union with the Upper Braise churches. That is still our likely destination. And that will bring change. Potentially a change of name, I would think. It may force you out of your pew um, to somewhere else as someone comes around and sits and they don't know that that's your pew. Uh, It may change our pastoral system. It may change the leaders that you see up here, our priorities, the way we do things. And if we are going to respond positively to those changes, we need to be rooted deeply in Jesus, to have our identity in him, rather than in a building or a name or how we do things here in Brighton. And as God would have it, as I was preparing for today, I was reading one commentary and the author wrote this. Most of the letter is about two subjects, power and identity. It describes, this is of Ephesians. It describes the power God's Spirit gives for living. It shows who we really are without Christ and who we become both individually and corporately with Christ. And that felt like a confirmation that we were in the right letter 
for the right time that this was going to be helpful for the year to come. Now, let me just at the start of this series flag up for us that like most of Paul's letters, Ephesians is tightly packed, tightly argued. And so I would encourage you to sit there with an open Bible. Whether that's a physical Bible or an electronic Bible, I really don't mind. But please have it open because I'm, I, do, I can't put everything up on screen, otherwise it will feel like a lecture, okay? So, but have them open. Get that in front of you so that you can follow along. Because some weeks we'll work through it quite methodically, and it'll be verse by verse. Today is not one of those weeks. Today is a jumping around kind of week, because Paul just packs in so much to this passage, and to really get to grips with it, it's more helpful to group things together around a common idea, and that's what we'll do. Because in the Greek, verse 3 to verse 14 is one sentence. Like, it's hard enough reading this in the sentences that we have. Imagine trying to do it in one sentence, maybe in one breath. But such is the praise that just overflows, cascades from Paul in this prayer that he just doesn't stop, that there's thought upon thought just rushing from him. And it all stems from verse 3 when he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul is stirred to an overflow of praise because he sees that these blessings have been poured down on us like a a monsoon rain or a, a waterfall just drenching us with the goodness of God. And so let's just run through these blessings just now and jump about with me. It even starts before his prayer, where in verse 2 he reminds them that he's praying for them that God's grace and peace is there for them. Grace, that alongside presence where God exerts his power in us and through us and for us. That peace that we all long for, where we long for wholeness, for freedom. In the Hebrew, it would be shalom. This is available from God and is theirs and it's available for them. But then going into the prayer, verse 4, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless in his sight. That is not talking about living a perfect life now. It's talking about being in right relationship with God, with sin no longer a blocker between us, no longer that we stand under the judgment of God, but we are in good relationship with God, holy and blameless in His sight. And to verse 5, that in love He predestined us for adoption to sonship. Now, this needs a wee bit teasing out here, because we get the idea of adoption, that we're brought into the family of God and we say, well, I'm a, a son of God and I'm a daughter of God, and you are. But the reason that we talk about adoption to sonship here and it's kept in the NIV is because in Paul's day, sonship carried different re- legal rights. And so that's why it's kept here. Because as a son, you had different rights, legal rights, than a daughter did. And we might rightly critique that, but that was the case. And so Paul is getting across that when you're adopted, part of that spiritual blessing, you have got all the rights that would have been for the sons, and particularly the first son. You've got all those rights, rights to the father, you're fully part of your family, there's no second class parts of the family in God's family. We're all on that level playing field because we're all adopted to sonship. Going on to verse 7, 
another blessing, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins, we understand that we're forgiven for the wrong things that we do, but that brings forth a freedom. Freedom from both the penalty, the judgment that would be due us because of sin, but also a freedom from the power of sin that we might live differently. And that's what redemption carries within its meaning. Redemption was a word used to free a slave. And so we have been freed from sin's power. It's power to bring then judgment upon us, but also it's power to dictate our lives. Verse 9, another blessing that God has made known to us, the mystery of His will. That God has this purpose, He has got this plan, and He's making this known to us. And if you don't think that's a big deal, then most of the world doesn't know that what is happening, what God is doing, what God is like, and yet you know because He's made it known to you. He's given you revelation. That is a blessing not to be taken for granted. Verse 10, part of this plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And we sung about that in our first hymn today. That one day the kingdom will be all in all. That there will only be the kingdom of God and that it will bring a new heaven and a new earth and everything will be perfect. The old order of things will be gone and there will be no more death or mourning or tears or sadness because that has gone. And that is what will happen when all things are brought under Christ. We look forward to its fulfillment, as verse 10 says. And so, verse 12, we have hope. We have hope in Christ, another spiritual blessing. We have that. A lot of people in the world do not have hope, but we do. Because in verse 13, we have the gospel, the good news of your salvation. We've got the blessing of good news, but we've also got salvation. And finally, verse 13 into 14, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we'll come back to him in a moment. I have tried to get through that fairly quickly. If you didn't catch it all, get the recording. But just see how many blessings God has showered upon us. He's lavished his goodness on us, like a outpouring of a waterfall or a monsoon rain. And Paul lists this because he knew he'd received it, that these Ephesian Christians had received it, that they had received it from their heavenly Father. And as we think about this first point, that's crucial to note as well. It's God's blessings for God's people. All this is available to anyone, but it is not received by everyone. It's God's blessings for God's people. And I'm not making it up. Let's go back into the passage again. Verse 1, to God's holy people. So it's to that people that these blessings come. Holy here, again, is not referring at this stage to living a perfect holy life. It is holy in relationship to God, that you stand in right relationship, you've been set apart to God, you've been bound to God. That is what holy means here. Verse 1 again, the faithful in Christ Jesus, those who are full of faith, they are part of the people who receive God's blessing. Again and again, from verses 3 to 14, I won't go through them all, but our, us, we, that group of people who identify with God's people, they receive God's blessing. They who, in verse 5, are 
part of that adoption to sonship, part of the family of God. And if you're not part of the family, you're not receiving the blessings. Because as verse 14 will say, those who receive all this, who have that inheritance to come, are those who are God's possession. Those who belong to God, who are His. And they know it and delight in that. We looked at this kind of theme a number of times last year where we saw that God is seeking a people of his own and it's to those who are counted amongst the people of God who receive every spiritual blessing. It's all theirs because God has pursued them and he's pursued them that he might bless them. And so that's just point one. And let us pause there for a moment because that was a lot. And let's take a moment to reflect on this. As you hear this, as you scan over this, as you engage with what God has done for you, if you are part of his people, can I encourage you to let it stir and shape you, to stir and shape your identity. Because what it shows is that God is in hot pursuit of you. And that he wants good for you. And that should shape and stir our our identity. Can I also encourage you to take a step back? Not only to look at the detail, but to look at the big picture. Because if we do that, then we see that God is doing something. He's doing something incredible, something huge. He has these plans and these purposes And you're part of that. You're part of a bigger story, a bigger reality. You're not just about your day job or about retirement or about your family or about the next issue that comes along. You are part of a bigger story. And whatever comes for us as a congregation this year, we are part of a bigger story. We are not just Brighton's. We're not just this building or an organization. We are part of what God is doing. And that should be part of our identity. And yet maybe you're left wondering, well, Scott, how does that happen? When did that happen? Because I didn't notice. And I could understand that because if you look in verse 3, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms. He hasn't blessed you in the physical realm and what you see in in your body necessarily, he has blessed you in the heavenly realms, in that spiritual side of life. And so it's very easy for that to be unseen. You might not have noticed anything change in your life, but so often we can be unaware of that. We get dominated by the physical side of life, by what's around us and by what we experience in our bodies. And so we, we... or maybe unaware of this. We ignore this. We forget this dynamic to life. And so we wonder, well, how does it happen? When does it happen? And that's where so much else in the passage comes into focus. Because God has given his Son and his Spirit for his people and to his people. Again, let's scan through this passage. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. What he's got to share here is from Jesus. Verse 4, verse 7, verse 11 speak about these blessings are in him, that he chose us in him, 
In him, verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen in Jesus. Verse 6, we receive grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves, i.e. Jesus. Verse 9, he's put this mystery, this purpose into effect um, through Jesus. Verse 10, he's going to bring it all in unity under Jesus. Jesus is central to all. He's the one through whom we receive these blessings. Because the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Word, He humbled Himself and identified with humanity, and that brought two things. It meant that He could take on our sin, as Paul writes in Corinthians, but so that then we could receive His blessings. And yet, if that's all we notice in, this, in these verses relating to Jesus, we'll miss something crucial. Because reading just quickly those verses, we might think, well, to receive those blessings then means I need to know about Jesus. I maybe need to be part of the organization of Jesus. I need to serve Jesus or, or know about the book of Jesus or pray to Jesus because it's all in him. It's kind of like Jesus has got a goodie bag and he's ready just to pass it on to you. And yet, Paul says something else in verse 13 that's crucial. He says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were included. Ephesians not only mentions repeatedly about the power of the Spirit and about our identity in Jesus, it speaks also about our union with Jesus. And that is crucial for us to get our heads around. Because a Christian is not someone who simply knows about Jesus, or is part of the organization of Jesus, or does religious things for or to Jesus. A Christian is someone who knows Jesus, who's in union with Jesus. And that's why I have this picture up on screen of the vine, because the Scriptures speak of the vine analogy, that we, the branches, are part of the vine, and that's how we receive the fruitfulness, that blessing, by being grafted into the vine. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you in a spiritual manner. And that sounds really strange to our ears but it's what the Scriptures teach. And it means that if everything else could change, this building could disappear. We could worship somewhere else. We could gather with a hundred other congregations. We could change everything we do. We could chuck out the organ, chuck out the band. We could scrap so much of what we do as church. And yet this does not change. Who we are does not change because all this stuff doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And yet, if you're as sharp as the primary ones were on Friday, you might ask some difficult questions like, where's Jesus just now. Oh, he's in heaven. 
How did he get to heaven? Oh, that's a story for another day. Let's come back to that. That's post-Easter. We were just getting to Easter. But Jesus is in heaven, physically in heaven, with a body, alive, at the right hand of the Father. And that means for you to be in Christ and Christ to be in us, we need the Holy Spirit to make that union a reality. And that's what Paul goes on to say from verse 13 into 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We're marked with the Holy Spirit. Um, A seal was a mark of belonging, of possession, as we read in the passage. And a deposit was, well, we know what a deposit is, a first installment guaranteeing that there's more to come. And that's what has been given to us. Paul will say in Romans, that in orange here, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. It's the spirit who brings our adoption through Jesus into the family of God. And so the Holy Spirit is no optional extra. He's not someone we talk about in whispers or we leave the minister to talk about or maybe the feet folk that were up the front. We all need to get as comfortable talking about the Holy Spirit as we are about talking about God. And sometimes we feel comfortable talking about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit needs to get into our vocabulary because we would not be Christians without the Holy Spirit. We would not be in union with Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Because turning up here doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that you have received the Spirit by receiving Jesus, as John says. John writes, to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, that adoption to sonship, to become children of God with that right access to God and that right to come to God anytime. And that invitation is open for anyone to take up. That when you hear, as Paul says, the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, then you have the opportunity at that moment to believe, to place your trust in Jesus and welcome him into your life by the Holy Spirit. That's why some people say, I received Jesus into my heart. Well, you didn't receive Jesus technically because he's in heaven, but you received the Holy Spirit who makes his presence known in your life. It's the Holy Spirit that makes that happen. And so you might not feel anything different because it's in the heavenly realms, but our trust is not in our feelings. Our trust is in God's word. And he says he's given his son and his spirit so that we might be his people and receive his blessings. And as Paul will say in Romans, nothing, nothing in all creation can separate us from that reality. So where is your security? Because this year, challenges will come. Personally, corporately. We will face strain like we've maybe never known. And where is your security? Are you rooted in Jesus? Are you tied to him such that your identity is bound to him 
so that it's more than words on a page, but it's something you live within. And no matter then what changes you face, sure, you might feel a measure of stress and, and anxiety. We all do. But, but you know that deeper security because you know who you are as a Christian. And maybe God's invitation this year is for us to grow in this, that this is the core of who we are, the core of our church. And so we will not be shaken, we will not be moved, come what may, because our security is in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Normally, this would be where I would finish. I don't normally like to preach for longer than about this length of time. And yet, Paul has got one final point for us to take away. And I can't skip over it, or I would be doing an injustice to the passage. And so I hope you'll stay with me a bit longer as we press on. Because not only does God give His Son and His Spirit so that we, His people, might receive His blessings, He does it for a purpose. Paul wrote, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. So before anything was made, God had a plan. He's that kind of God that seeks a people of His own. So that in love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will, and it's to the grace, praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Again and again, Paul writes about praise. Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father. Pray, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 13, to the, 14 rather, to the praise of his glory. Glory here being the revelation of God's character. Praise to the revelation of His character as a loving, gracious God who had a plan to include you within His family. It's meant to bring about praise. Praise to God. It's part of why He did it. And we might at first think, well, doesn't that make God a wee bit egotistical that He wants this praise? Well, let's remember God is not like we are. God does not need our love or our praise because He's a perfect Trinitarian being in perfect love. He doesn't need us. But that does not mean that God doesn't want us to know Him. He does. He wants us to know Him rightly so that we can relate rightly to Him. And it is good and natural for the creature to praise its creator. That's a good thing. Particularly when it's not done out of obligation, but as with Paul, it just overflows so that there's thought upon thought responding to the goodness, the love, the grace of God. God wants to be known rightly, friends, by you so that we may then live rightly with him. He wants His love and His grace to shape and stir you that we might be a people of praise. Because after all, His love and grace stirred Him, shaped Him, shaped Him to take on the form of a man coming as Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, to be crucified on a cross as a terrorist, to be rejected and humiliated, to be scorned and flogged, to be beaten, to be suffocated to death on a cross. 
and all the while at the same time facing the wrath of God for our sin so that we might receive the blessing of God as his sons and daughters. So how will we be a people of praise in the year to come, in the week to come? Well, it's more than just turning up to church. It's more than singing songs, good though that is, or praying, good though that is. Clearly, prayer is an important thing. And in chapter 5, songs are mentioned, so that's a good thing too. But Paul also goes on to say, verse, chapter 4, verse 1, that we have to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. It's to affect our daily living. So how will you live to the praise of God? And I don't have an answer for you to take away to that question. But take away the question. Maybe put it on your mirror in the morning so you see it there. Or beside the, the kettle when you go. I'm at the kettle ten times a day. So lots of opportunity to be reminded. How will I live to the praise of God today? And as you reflect on that question today and in the days to come, let me remind you, as Paul will do in chapter 5, you can't do it on your own strength. You need help to live that life of praise. Yes, you've received the Spirit when you came to faith in Jesus, but as Paul says in chapter 5, you need to go on being filled with the Spirit. You need to ask God to keep coming in and, and helping you, giving you His power and help. And that's why today as we begin to draw things to a close, I feel that we cannot simply bow our heads in prayer, have a final hymn, have the final blessing, and just go out the door and, and never change a thing, maybe. And just maybe rely on our own strength. And all because no one called us to respond and no one asked anything of us. And that's why, as you can see on the order of service, we have two final hymns, not just because I like singing, but because I'd like to call you to respond today in the service. And during that first hymn, King of Kings, but you can come during the second if that's a better time for you, to come forward for prayer. And that might sound quite bold, it's not something we do. We haven't done it for three years due to the interruption of COVID. It's maybe not part of your tradition or experience. And yet God says those who humble themselves will be lifted up. He'll meet with them and bless them. And I can tell from personal experience and from the testimony of many people, those who have responded to the word of God and who have more often than not sought the prayer of others, maybe not just in a service, but in other ways, those are the people who've really grown in their faith and have pursued and evidenced the things of the kingdom most powerfully at times. And so I invite you forward for prayer. Maybe you need to come forward because today you need to receive Jesus for the first time. You've decided enough's enough. I need to come forward. I want to receive Jesus and be part of the people of God. 
will come forward for prayer. And we'll have a team of people out front who will pray with you. Maybe as we've went through this passage and looked at these blessings, you've thought, sigh, boring, dull. It just has stirred nothing in you. If that's the case, can I suggest that maybe you're a little cold or hard of heart? And maybe you need to come forward for prayer that we might ask the Holy Spirit to revive you and birth fresh passion in you. Or maybe you doubt God's love for you and you doubt his pl- your place in his family and maybe you need to come forward for prayer that we might pray and ask God to begin a work in your heart by the Spirit so that you are confident of your identity in Christ. But you know, brothers and sisters, maybe you just, you're, you're so full of praise for God. You delight in God. You're in a great place with God and you want to live that life of praise to him. And you recognize you can't do it on your own strength. Well, it's time to come forward and let us pray for you. Pray for you to be filled afresh with the Spirit as Ephesians 5 encourages to do, that you might go from here and live that life of praise. If you're willing to come forward and, share and ask for prayer, then I ask you to summarize it in a sentence or two. We don't need more than that. Sentence or two, and then we'll get down to prayer. Because these are just short hymns. We're not dragging this out. I realize we've overshot our time quite a bit. But let's take a chance, a moment to respond in prayer. We're all going to stand and sing this, these final two hymns, if you feel able. If not, please feel free to, to sit if, if you're feeling that you need to do that. But otherwise, we'll stand to sing. And during that, come forward for prayer. You'll see people with the lanyards on. And if we have a deluge of you, I might be asking a few more people to pray. But as we sing together, King of Kings, Majesty, God of heaven, living in me, I live to serve your majesty. Let's sing and let's pray.